0: Welcome to Create Beauty Every Day, a podcast about art, life, and creativity. I'm Deanne Fitzpatrick, and this podcast is brought to you by HookingRugs.com. Be sure to go over to my website and find out all about rug hooking, creativity, and art. Create Beauty Every Day. Hi, welcome everybody to Create Beauty Every Day. Today I'm really excited to be talking to Dr. Sarah Mackay. And Sarah is born in New Zealand, but practices
1: in Australia and she's a neuroscientist. Welcome Sarah. Oh thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here and be part of this. Thanks for the invitation. So Dr. McKay, first of all, can you tell me what is a
0: neuroscientist?
1: What does does that (laughs) mean? Oh that's a good question. Well I am a scientist so I have um, a bachelor's degree, a master's degree and a PhD in neuroscience. So that, I suppose, qualifies me as a neuroscientist. What is it that neuroscientists do? We are really interested in researching and studying and understanding and teaching all about the brain and the nervous system. So I have a very, very long, long long-standing interest and passion and almost obsession with our brains and how our biology controls how we think and feel and behave and also how the world around us influences and shapes and sculpts our brains and thus how we think feel and behave so it's really the i suppose the science not so much of the mind because that's a tricky one but the science of the brain the science of the brain okay mm.
0: so um, if i think one of the things i love about you is that you want to make neuroscience really accessible Right. But how accessible is it really? How easy is it for us as, you know, everyday people, craftspeople, artists to really understand neuroscience? It sounds difficult to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it does. I think it's a bit like saying, you know, it's, it's I, I often joke, it's like rocket surgery. I think it probably depends on one, what questions you're interested in asking, and two, what sources of information you seek those answers from so if I was not an academic neuroscientist I probably wouldn't be going and reading the original neuroscience research articles written by other neuroscientists describing their work and I really only have an understanding of some certain aspects of neurobiology I'm not going and reading academic articles written by physicists or ecologists or cancer researchers because I simply can't understand that either, I think the best way that we can gain understanding or answers to our questions is to um, find reputable sources of information, um, but perhaps not what we would call those primary sources of information. So you would probably be more likely to go to read a popular science book, maybe listen to a podcast like this one um maybe follow some scientists on social media um, and there's lots of really really great both government funded especially in Canada um Canada's really a really good job in terms of health communications there's a, often a lot of government funded resources out there which will be simplifying complex science down mm-hmm. into something more actionable and understandable so it's a, i suppose being a bit thoughtful and a bit savvy about the question and then where you're going to find those answers yeah because yeah. it doesn't need to be complicated <laughs> um, at all. And and it is, but what I try and do is help people find the right answers to the questions and make it just usable and, you know, friendly and understandable. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You, you do that really well. Um, well I watched, I, I loved your website. It was really fun. There was all kinds of fun things on it. And one of the fun things was um, you explaining consciousness as an, as, oh, as an elevator, person, right? Oh, <laughs> What did you watch? That was hilarious. Yeah. It was really fun, especially when you got stuck in the elevator. So yeah, can you-
1: I, we- I, I still suspect the producers did that on purpose. I'm not <laughs> sure whether it was just a coincidence or not, but we'll see.
0: Just to give you an extra minute or two. Yeah. Um, can you chat to me
1: a little bit about creativity and consciousness as you see it? Oh, oh, gosh. Consciousness is one of the topics that neuroscientists really don't like to discuss. In fact, we call it the hard problem. Right. Because I suppose- I can talk about creativity and I'll talk about that separately from consciousness. I suppose consciousness also is one of those words that has a definition that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, And whether we talk about, you know, we could get a a philosopher and a some sort of spiritual religious leader and a physicist and a neuroscientist and a psychologist in a room. And even we may not agree on what the word consciousness means. Mm -hmm. Um, I suppose a large part of that comes from the idea, well, there's a kind of a couple of ideas here that are almost in conflict. Some people believe that consciousness, or I suppose we would say our awareness of being a thinking being, um, that sort of awareness when we are awake, not when we're asleep and not perhaps when we are anesthetized or perhaps not when we're brain injured. And for those reasons, people would, some, some people believe consciousness emerges as a function of the brain doing what the brain does, right. but that can knock up against the spiritual beliefs of some people who <clears throat> um, believe that the conscious mind can exist beyond the, the body and the brain. Mm-hmm. So when we, when we die, they believe consciousness can live on, which essentially is life after death. So immediately you've got this conundrum if you're a scientist wanting to understand the biology of consciousness, that it may depend or not on your own spiritual beliefs or the spiritual beliefs of other people that you're talking to. So that's part of the issue, the issue there. If I'm just to think about consciousness from the perspective of neurobiology, I would say I believe it arises as a function of the brain doing what the brain does, because when we change the brain, we change Consciousness. So if we alter the brain's activity using drugs, perhaps you know, an anesthetic drug or a drug of addiction or a legal drug like marijuana, where you're in your part of the world, not legal yep. in mine. Yeah. Um, where you alter the functioning of the brain, then you alter awarenesses of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, you can measure consciousness in terms of self-reported awareness when someone's awake or asleep or anesthetized or not. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's a it's a bit of a kind of a curly, curly kind of issue, and it's hard to kind of define and it's really fuzzy or fuzzy around the edges. So if we set consciousness aside and we talk about creativity, right. that in a way is a bit more measurable because we're not necessarily relying on someone's self-report. All we can do with consciousness is rely on someone talking about their awareness of themselves. Creativity we can almost kind of measure, and I know. Artists and and creative folk often find it a little bit jarring when you say, well, you can actually quantify creativity. But from the perspective of brain biology, we can because we can use various um, puzzles and ask people to solve them using creative problem solving and get a gauge of how capable they are at creative problem solving. So one of the coolest experiments that's been done from a biology, neurobiology perspective looking at creativity is looking to see what happens in the brain when a creative idea emerges. So there's lots of ways you can trigger a creative idea in someone while you're scanning their brain, while they're lying inside a brain scanning machine. So you have to lie there all by yourself, not moving. So how can you be creative in that sort of situation? Um, So they get people to solve um, sort of word puzzles. So you might, um, for example, be given three words and told to find a fourth word, which kind of links to each of those three words. So it might be something like day, break, and... Bulb, for example. I don't know whether that actually works. <laughs> and then you you'll be kind of lying there going, well, what kind of three words kind of go together with day and I don't think break's the right word. I'm using a terrible example here. Um day, well let's just do two. What what words go together with day and bulb? And so you could be kind of lying there. And then all of a sudden you might go, Oh, well, I know what it is. It's light, daylight, mm-hmm. light bulb. <laughs> And what happens when we're scanning the brain of someone when they're kind of lying there and then they suddenly have that moment of creative insight, we call it, is that we can see various parts of the brain coming online and other parts coming offline. And the coolest part of the brain that goes offline is the visual cortex. So the part of the brain which is involved with processing vision. So Mm -hmm. it's almost as if the brain is sort of shutting its mind's eye, it's almost as if it's shutting the. It's response to visual stimulation. So instead of you closing your eyes, your brain just shuts down the visual part of your cortex. And that allows other parts of the brain to kind of come online and creative insights to kind of bubble up. And we can see different parts of the brain sort of processing below our subconscious awareness this result, and then it will kind of pop up. And what we find is people who are perhaps creative problem solvers versus strategic thinkers are much more able to solve a whole lot more word problems, for example, using these creative insights. And so we can kind of see this aha moment sort of emerge in the brain at the same time as the visual cortex shuts down. So that's how we've kind of measured things like creativity. Similar brain scanning studies have been done using, for example, say a jazz pianist, because that's kind of a lot of Im- Im- improvisation and creativity, yeah. and you can actually play a little keyboard while you're lying inside a brain scanner, and they can look to see what brain processes are taking place um, during these sort of moments of creativity in, in, wow. in the brains of someone. And often it involves shutting down visual visual inputs, which I think is kind of curious and cool. So, <clears throat> uh, tell me, tell
0: me then, does that what's what's the truth about? the left side and the right side of the creativity.
1: Is that something that leads me there? Yeah, that's kind of one of the great myths, I think, of the brain is that Mm -hmm. we are either right-sided or left-sided. You are either creative or analytical. And the brain doesn't necessarily function like that. We've moved away from thinking this part of the brain does this and this part of the brain does that. That is aside from parts of the brain involved with sort of primary senses so we do have parts of the brain that are involved in visual you know sort of you know processing visual inputs and processing auditory inputs but they don't work in isolation brain is the brain is a network it's really about different parts of the brain communicating with each other Versus this part does this, this part does that. So we need to start thinking about it more like an internet <laughs> than right. a kind of a machine with with cogs and wheels. Mm. Um, so there's this. So there are some functions of the brain which are what we might call lateralized. So language, for example, the generation of language is, and most people is on the left hemisphere, but it's connected to lots of other parts of the brain. Yeah, Uh, but in some people it's on the right side. We don't have any evidence that we can have people who say, "Hey, I'm a creative artist," and other people saying, "I'm an analytical mathematician," and we could scan their brain and see that the creative artist's right hemisphere is more active, and the analytical mathematician's brain left left brain is more active. The brain doesn't work like that, and there are no specific markers that we can pick up like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's more of like a kind of a. I mean, people use it my creative right brain and my analytical left it probably started off as a bit of a a metaphor or analogy and now it's become a scientifically just so but we don't really have evidence for that um and I suppose I kind of find it a bit odd because I'm quite creative and I do a lot of arts and crafts and I'm also a scientist yeah um and I and It often comes as a surprise to creative people that a lot of scientists um, and mathematicians are also often very musical or often have a lot of artistic, you know, kind of interests and talents. So I think sometimes to categorize people as this because of their brain or that because of their brain is kind of misinterpreting contemporary neuroscience. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too, for sure. But it kind of fits. It kind of gives i feel like it, it it fits with people's sense of identity they can mm-hmm. say i am i am this because of my brain but that's kind of not really how brains work
0: hmm I
1: think of, I loved how you said, think of it as an internet rather
0: than the cogs of the machine, because yeah. when I, you know, anything I read about when I hear the word neuroplasticity and when I, yeah, when yeah. I sort of think of it as things pinging off each other, and that's how mm. I, I imagine my brain working, you know, and sometimes I don't know, I, you know, I, obviously I don't know what's pinging off what, but sometimes when I'm walking across the street or sometimes I've been doing something for the same, t- same way year after year after year. And then suddenly I think of a new way to do it. And it just comes
1: out of nowhere. What's what's going on there? Well, I suppose sometimes that's a creative insight, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Or, um, I mean, our brains don't usually, our brains are usually responding to what's kind of happening in the world. So if we think about, I suppose what you've described there is what we would call an automated behavior or a habit some kind of behavior that you've repeated over and over again. And typically you walk the same way along the street or the same way to the shops, et cetera, or um, brush your teeth in the same pattern with your toothbrush around your mouth. There's lots of different kind of ride a bicycle. That's an automated learned behavior. Um, We perform these because we've done them repeatedly over and over. And typically they roll out without a lot of thought in response to a particular cue,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: whether that be, a toothbrush, whether that be a place or a person or a situation, we kind of encounter that and then our brain automatically rolls this behavior out. So sometimes what happens perhaps when you alter that behavioral pattern is there may have been some change in the environment around you that you haven't noticed. um, That's perhaps triggered something. um, Those habitual behaviors don't kind of what we would say unwire they're typically permanently stored but we do have control over whether they roll in or out they're not um, addictions and that we have no control over them and even if we don't want to do them we do them anyway Um, we still have conscious control over them and sometimes it's just a a little cue shift um, or perhaps a creative insight like I said before you know your mind's eyes shut down and you've kind of this this kind of idea has been bubbling away in your subconscious and it kind of emerges into your conscious reality it's almost like it kind of comes on stage from being backstage um and then you have a new kind of perhaps way of thinking about how you behave it doesn't mean you won't fall back into the old way though no if it was a true habit it just gives you gives you it gives you a new kind of path to walk down yeah
0: um how important look, I know there's a there's a lot of research about uh, physical exercise and, and the health of our brain how important do you think like a cre- creativity it, you know using our creativity is towards the health of our brain is there any research about that or do you know anything about that
1: Yeah absolutely I think um you know there's lots I I don't think we can ever kind of say this is more important or that is more important no. but the the most fundamental I think about it like this. I think about the brain sort of sitting in the middle of our bottom up biology and the outside in world that's kind of coming in through our senses. And then we've also got these top down thoughts and expectations and beliefs, et cetera. Um, And to keep our brain healthy, we need to think about ways to keep our sort of our body healthy. So we've got the basics that you mentioned, exercise. I mean, you've got to, you've got to, find ways to incorporate movement into your day, sleep. If you even have one night of bad sleep, you know, you don't feel great. So, and then of course, good, good diet, healthy nutrition. We all kind of know what we should eat, but it doesn't necessarily mean we do. We all slip up at times, but that's, that's kind of part of being human. So we've got those kind of, those kind of biological necessities, but we also have other necessities. So social interactions are one of them, but I think we're, arts and crafts and creativity can fit in really nicely here is in terms of these ideas of purpose and passion and meaning in life and a sense of kind of um, almost hope and in a sense of, you know, kind of agency that, that you can create something and kind of see a project through from beginning to end. And that kind of sort of, field of um it's kind of psychology butting up against neuroscience this kind of sense of kind of purpose and creativity and and making and a sense of agency around that is really really important and we have quite a lot of research showing that it impacts how we feel yeah (laughs) And 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 you know the people listening to this podcast are probably pretty familiar with the 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 healthy emotions which emerge from crafting and whether that comes from doing that alone or whether that comes from doing that in a social group you know there's there's, there's both those factors in there there's that sense of agency and I think a sense of agency or autonomy that um, you have choices out there in the world um, you're not you know <laughs> think back to the days of lockdowns during COVID when we couldn't kind of go anywhere or do anything, we had a lot of our choices taken away. And that was a real psychological struggle for people. But if you had something like arts and crafts or some kind of creative way of still showing your brain that you could make decisions um, and you had choices, you had some kind of certainty about the path you were going down. I mean, the metaphorical path here in terms of creating something that that gives you a uh, that that's actually really psychologically important to people it's really very important for mental health I
0: I can see exactly like in in hooking a rock I can see exactly how that would work and how that would give you a sense of control and well-being and and something right yeah
1: absolutely and when we were you know I mean we don't want to go and relive those days days. but I used to talk a lot during those awful times (laughs) COVID times about um, a sense of having a sense of certainty, because there was so much uncertainty. There was so much unknown. We had everything kind of around us that we'd already always relied on suddenly sort of disappeared into the ether. Um, And so we had to kind of bring our focus close. And I spent a lot of time doing, I did a little bit of, I do a lot of watercolor Mm -hmm. um, sort of botanical scientific art. And I just, I couldn't kind of get into that for some reason, but I did a lot of jigsaw puzzles Yep. And for me, that was like a thousand little opportunities to have a little high five, <laughs> a little reward. There was like this kind of reward cycle happening and it kind of reminded my brain that I could do something that made me feel good, even if it was just one little piece in the puzzle. Yeah. Um and it was, it gave me positive emotions, which were hard to find, um, a sense of agency and purpose. And it's just like kind of sitting in the middle of a project. Mm -hmm. Um, that I can kind of chip away at and I think that that's really important and I think a lot of people pick up arts and crafts pick up knitting pick up you know rug hooking is that the word you use that's right Um, painting because it 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 gives them all of those you know Mm. psychological it kind of ticks all those psychological needs and ticks all those emotional needs it just makes you feel better about life and I think that that is really important if we if we feel that way, we're going to be less stressed. And as soon as we have less of a stress response, the knock-on effects on our health are remarkable. Mm-hmm. So I, I think yeah. we could use that. Like, I, I think
0: I you could transfer that example of COVID to a time when you're feeling very anxious or about anything or a time that you're grieving or a time that oh, for it,
1: sure. it all makes yeah. sense. You know, why? We, sure. Like, why the were psychology and that? neurobiology of uncertainty Prior to COVID, yeah. was really st- actually weirdly had been studied a little bit in the real estate industry because buying yeah. and selling a house, you know, you're not just you're 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 moving your home, your security, your sense of safety around you right. to somewhere else. Um, but you know, someone waiting perhaps for you've had a scan and you're waiting for a diagnosis, you've got a lump somewhere, and yeah. so you know there's a great sense of uncertainty, or perhaps something a bit more fun and frivolous back in the old days when we used to go to bars and you'd see, you know, catch the eye of someone across the room, maybe you'd exchange phone numbers. And then now they do it all online, apparently. Yeah. Wiping. <laughs> <laughs> I've been married for so long, I wouldn't know. But, um, you know, you wait for the phone call and there's this uncertainty and and our brains really like to know what is coming next. And when we don't know what is coming next and we don't know how to act, when our brains can't predict the future, Because essentially our brains are spending all the time predicting the future. When there's an uncertainty gap there, depending on your tolerance to that, we can start to feel stressed. We can start to feel anxious. And so, you know, what's the best way to kind of fill that uncertainty gap is to put some certainty in there. And arts and crafts and creative pursuits are such a great way to build that that certainty and that sense of control back. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes when I'm working with people,
0: um, I find... I find that they struggle with their creativity. And one of the things I notice about is that, is that they're afraid of taking risks, right? Even within that safe context, right? Um, And I'm wondering what you think about, like, I find it interesting that in other areas of their life, they might be fearless, right? mm. Or they may be fearless in their art and not so fearless in other uh, areas of their life. Mm. So I'm just wondering what you think about um, the whole idea of, of uh, you know risk taking and creativity yeah, and and the that's... brain, what's what's going on there with people? Why are that's we sometimes really... just afraid to take small risks within a within a, a project that yeah. seems so safe? You know,
1: yeah, that's interesting. I don't really want to always. Br- I don't want to bring sex and gender into this, but I think girls and women are often a bit more afraid of taking risks than boys and men, mm-hmm. and whether that's partly kind of innate, but also reinforced socially you know, we're, we're very familiar with the concept of a teen. I have teenage boys, teenage boys and risk-taking, but they're taking risks depending on the context around them. So I'm just talking about teenage boys here, because that's where most of the research on risk-taking has been done. Yeah. I promise it'll become relevant. Um, but, but typically the risks they take are because they are looking for some sort of social, um, validation They they're not, Uh, And I have a risk-taking teenage son who likes to... We live on the beaches in Sydney and he likes to hurl himself off very high rocks. There's a blowhole nearby where we live and he's very fond of jumping off. That's about 10 metres high. Most people won't. Um, He doesn't do that alone. (laughs) He only goes there with his group of mates and they all do it together because it's kind of a social bonding, validation, tribe membership type thing. And I think sometimes that the... this perception of taking a risk is, is, is a lot of the times around the sort of social validation or not mm-hmm. that we, we perceive. We don't tend to worry about risks that we're taking alone when we we aren't sort of self-reflecting back or having other people sort of self, self-reflect back. Um, so what, you know, teachers in the classrooms are trying to deal with when they're trying to get young girls or women to, or young women to, take risks because they are less kind of risk inclined is to take risks in the classroom in terms of you know um, standing up in front of the room and speaking or perhaps taking creative risks or perhaps taking intellectual or academic risks and a lot of a lot of the kind of fear around that is the social judgment so whether you take risks or not still by and large depends on the the kind of the social group that you have around you, so I think a lot of that fear comes from this sense of what will they think, <laughs> whoever they are. <laughs> so there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of um, you know this sort of the sort of basic mammalian <laughs> kind of thing about us is that we want to be accepted and we and we don't want to be standing out, yeah. and so I think sometimes that sense of risk taking or fear around creativity comes from what what, what will they think what will they think what will they think. think um so if we can kind of find ways to um and I you know I think I was talking to someone about this yesterday in a completely different context we were talking about motherhood but I think if we often we don't have enough um opportunities to see the range of experiences that people have around us and the journeys that they've taken along the way to where they are at now we just see and especially in the creative arts we see the people who win the oscars at the hollywood mm-hmm. at, you know hollywood oscars we see the the great pieces of art that are on the walls and the galleries you know we see these we've got a crafting show and you've seen these beautiful quilted rugs and i i mean my grandmother used to take me to see them and we don't see the processes of a whole host of artists along the way and what They did to get there and the kind of not just the mistake because it's not about mistakes but the the kind of the processes along the way and the joy that can come from that Um, so I sometimes feel like you know we're only seeing what's up there on the wall it's amazing versus all of the other little things that have kind of gone into that for all of the people involved so sometimes I feel like a lack of exposure to what's behind the curtain yeah to the process <laughs> lives. Yeah. the process yeah, you're right. is part, is part mm-hmm. of that we're not mm-hmm. all we don't all need to win I'm in a I'm in a local amateur dramatics theater company um so people thought they were talking to a neuroscientist and I do painting and I do theater I can't sing I can't dance I just like the collective effervescence just being on st- and it's Parents who were once affiliated with our local primary school. So I'm one of the youngest, and I'm 48. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, and we just have the time of our lives, and multiple pairs of spanks dancing around the men. The women are the women are in the spanks. The men probably aren't um, doing our singing and dancing. Um, and it's and it, there's just this kind of feelingness that comes from kind of being being kind of engaged and involved with a group. Um yeah, sure. and we you know the process whatever happens at the end when we put the show on the stage it's the process of getting there and the the joy that comes from go, going through that i think um that people don't if you've not been exposed to that you you don't understand yeah it's all
0: about the making of it really
1: i think yeah yeah end. yeah i think I it's mean, in I love the, in the making and that's yeah. the that's why I I talk about when i talk to my students um, I ha- and I teach a lot of coaches. Um, I, I try not to talk so much about goals. Goals are important, but I like projects. Yeah. So what project are you working on? What goal are you working towards? A goal is important, but a project you can kind of sit in the middle and you can kind of wallow around and you can do a bit here mm. and do a bit there and it relieves some of the pressure.
0: Yeah. It's a great way of thinking about things, just thinking mm. about the project and, and the process. Um, yeah. I just, I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm, I'm going to let you go, but I really appreciate your time. Dr. McKay. Um, is uh, the, and this is for me the other night I was, you know, putting around the house and, and, you know, I've always read that quote about the well-examined life. I think it's Aristotle, like it, you know, if you're not going to examine your life, it's not worth not worth living mm. right I'm not, I think it's Aristotle I'm not sure we could check yeah. on that but um I I'm wondering what you think about that and 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 so I was putting around and then my husband said to me you know I think sometimes you soul search too much do you think sometimes that we <clears throat> that, uh we examine you know what what's the balance between uh having mm. a life where we're using our brain as as people um and, and can see what's going on exactly what you were talking about in the beginning of our conversation and and the over analyzing of ourselves in our lives. Like how do we balance that as human yeah. beings?
1: That's a good question. I'm not sure whether there's any neuroscientific explanation about that, but perhaps just my own personal thoughts. Mm. I think sometimes we can spend far too much time navel gazing. <laughs> and there's certainly, um within the self-improvement world, and uh, and that's whether that's in books or you know the the bro dude science guys on podcasts or you know Oprah <laughs> this is you know this entire world out there a lot of it is very much to me focused on individualism and self-improvement and personal optimization and I've written a couple of books on the brain mm-hmm. the first book I wrote looked at The female brain you know across the lifespan and how it's shaped and sculpted by you know our bottom-up biology including hormones and the outside and world and our thoughts and feelings and I looked at infancy and childhood and puberty and um, I looked at mental health anxiety depression pregnancy menopause and old age and at every point in the lifespan what determined the healthiest outcomes I don't want to say happiest but I'll use the word happiest in in place of well-being, wasn't so much personal optimization of biology. It was really about the other people around us. And at every point in the lifespan, the loudest voice in the crowd, so to speak, is our interactions with other people. And I sometimes think when we get in these overthinking, overanalysis kind of spaces, it's very self-reflective and it doesn't leave space for interacting with other people Mm -hmm. it doesn't recognize that you're kind of this mammal which of mother nature you know (laughs) intended for us not to be alone for us to parent in groups for us to you know our social brains to be constantly engaging with others and actually the strongest predictors as I said of health and happiness at every point in the lifespan from infancy to old age is Is the kind of the social architecture that we have around, and I sometimes think, yeah, this focus on overthinking Mm. drives us into ourselves. Yeah, and as soon as we start driving a little bit into ourselves, we can move from, I suppose, some sense. I don't want to use the self-absorption because that sounds selfish, but
0: but there's a a little truth
1: it. Moves us not from loneliness, but from separation from others. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to connect with other people to draw us out of ourselves. Yeah, And sometimes that's the best medicine there is. Yeah. So
0: sometimes mm-hmm. rather than thinking it over and over and over and over again, you just got to call someone for a cup
1: of tea. Yeah. It's like sitting on yeah. a rocking chair, you know, mm-hmm. you keep yourself pretty busy, but you don't get anywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> as long as the other person isn't kind of sharing the rocking chair with you and you ruminate together and, you know, self-reinforce that. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, there's a I mean just to add a little bit of a neuroscience flavor to that that the, the networks in our brain because we know a lot to talk about this part of the brain does that the networks in our brain involve the kind of that self-referential process are called the default mode network and it's the network mm-hmm. which comes online when we're just kind of daydreaming or thinking about ourselves or the future or the past it's not on when we're on when we're problem solving or <clears throat> reading a book or driving a car it's just you know, the the thoughts that bubble away in the back of our mind and people kind of say, oh, you don't want to spend too much time in your own mind. But it probably depends on what the content of that thought process is, because I just by virtue of the work I do and the stage of life I'm at, I do have to unfortunately spend quite a lot of my working day alone. Um, But the places my mind takes me are generally very positive um, I'm not driving myself into a depressed spiral. I'm driving yes. myself towards creation and um, a real sense of purpose. So I think I'm not saying you shouldn't ever spend time on self-reflection, but it's the content of that
0: mm-hmm.
1: reflection that I think is really important. Yeah. Um, and the connection with other people will immediately bring you out of that. Yeah. If it's a if it's a if it's not a good thought. <laughs> You know you're not only a brilliant scientist, but you've just got a lot of common sense. Oh well, yeah, <laughs> then that's my <laughs> New Zealand upbringing. <laughs> we didn't <laughs> i i i that's perhaps the most common comment I get as you know um. You call a spade a spade. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, it's lovely, really. It's it's refreshing oh, and it's a breath of fresh air. I really oh, enjoyed talking to you. I wonder if you would tell our audience the title of both your books, and also oh, tell cool. them about your website because on your there's all kinds of beautiful content on your website and lots of opportunity to learn more about neuroscience.
1: Yeah, oh, well, thank you for that. So perhaps the best place to start and that will filter you out into my world is my website is Dr. Sarah Mackay. I'm sorry, I'm a bit croaky in the morning. Um, Sarah Mackay, M C K A Y.com. You may pronounce it Mackay you're part yes, of the world. Yes, we do in our. Um, and the, I, yeah. I, the original Scottish pronunciation that I grew up with in New Zealand was Mackay. Um, so that will, you can watch, I've given a TED talk on afternoon naps. You can watch some of my TV documentaries on healthy aging, links to my social media, etc. And I have written two books. One was published in April 20 or March 2018, and the title of that depends where you are in the world because it's different in different countries. Unfortunately, it wasn't picked up by a U.S. publisher or North American publisher, but you can buy it online Mm -hmm. or on Kindle, Um, was the woman's brain book, The Neuroscience of Health, Hormones and Happiness. And that takes a look at the female brain across the lifespan, a womb to tomb tour, if you will. Um, and, a, and I think I got a review, which the person I believe thinks was a criticism because they gave me two stars, that there is not enough science and too much storytelling. But I, that as a compliment because that was the intention. <laughs> My next book is about to come out in what's today in eight days time, <laughs> um, which is very exciting. And this book is called baby brain. The Surprising Neuroscience of How Pregnancy and Motherhood Sculpt Our Brains and Change Our Minds for the Better, which I've written because there is this remarkable field of maternal brain or parenting brain neuroscience driven largely by women, many of whom are mothers, which is so remarkable and meaningful in terms of how pregnancy and motherhood change our brains for the better to ensure, you know, this this dyad forms and for us to become more pro-social creatures mm-hmm. essentially the changes to our social brain um and because there's you know the the conversations around women and reproductive health in our brains are largely negative There. we aren't. should expect to become forgetful lose our minds mm-hmm. develop anxiety and depression And that's not what the neuroscience is saying. So I really wanted to kind of counter the negative stories that we hold on so tightly to. We don't experience cognitive decline during pregnancy and motherhood, and that is a really good thing. There are so many benefits to our brains and our minds and to people who perhaps aren't the birthing parent. People who are, you know, fathers or or, or non-birthing parents or even grandparents. Yes. Um, so I just wanted to share some good news stories. Yeah. Um, so that so that comes out that's baby brain Day. baby brain so you can find links to that um if you want to buy it online or um, listen to the audio version or um buy a paperback there's, there's links to international. Great. So tell us your
0: website one more time before we say so long.
1: It's drsarahmckay.com, which is D-R-S-A-R-A-H-M-C-K-A-Y.com. Thank you, Dr. Mackay. It was lovely to talk to you. Thank you
0: for the invitation. It was a joy. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to Create Beauty Every Day. The podcast was brought to you by HookingRugs.com. Be sure to go over to HookingRugs.com and learn all about how you can create beauty every day.